0: listening to The Dirt on the Past, a show on history and archaeology and why it matters today. You can find us on the Extreme History Project website and also on kgvm.org. Thanks for listening. Welcome to The Dirt on the Past from the Extreme History Project and KGVM Community Radio.
1: Whether digging up a site or dusting off the archives, we bring you some of the most fascinating and cutting edge research in history and archaeology and discuss why it matters today. Join me, Nancy Mahoney, alongside co host Crystal Alegria, as we converse with anthropologists, archaeologists,
0: and historians about how they bring the past alive. Welcome to the dirt on the past. We're so excited to be here today for our inaugural show. My name is Crystal Allegria and I am the director of the Extreme History Project, which is a nonprofit located in Bozeman, Montana. I'm joined here today with Nancy Mahoney, a a board member of the Extreme History Project, also a colleague and a friend. Uh, She's also an archaeologist and anthropology instructor at Montana State University here in Bozeman, and most recently, a small business owner in Bozeman's historic downtown. Congratulations, Nancy. Thank you very much. (laughs) We've been talking about doing this show for such a long time and decided now was the perfect time to get it started. As co-hosts, we thought we would start by giving you a little background on who we are, on why we're doing this show, and why we are
1: doing it now. So, Crystal, you're (laughs) a native Montanan. Um, Why don't you start by telling us a bit about the path that led you ultimately here to become the executive director of the Extreme History Project, but also go back a little further. Tell us how you first became interested in history and eventually decided to make it your life's work.
0: Well, uh, I was born in Montana. I was born in Livingston, Montana, and grew up here in this great state and really enjoyed uh, history. I loved history growing up and archaeology. Archaeology really had a fascination for me. And when I was in fourth grade, I became obsessed with King (laughs) Tutankhamun.
1: I remember that, too.
0: Yeah. 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 It was that like, was big right there. It was big. Yep, yep. It was big. And, you know, everyone was interested in Howard Carter and his finding the tomb of King Tut. And so I fell into that as well and really became interested in Egyptology. So for a long time, I wanted to be an Egyptologist. I think but... a lot of us start out that way. <laughs> yep. But then, of course, Raiders of the Lost Ark came along. <laughs> And so that became, that gave even another level to the interest in archaeology. And so um, ever since I was in fourth grade, I I have wanted to be an archaeologist and a historian and uh, have a, a real passion for looking at the past and bringing it to the present and understanding it better today. So I went to Montana State University with that in mind and enrolled in the anthropology department there. And... I uh, had a great experience at Montana State University because it's a very small anthropology department. And so I got to do everything. I got to go on excavations. I got to, um, you know, experience archaeology firsthand and do a lot of it during the summertime and then got to be in the lab during the wintertime, um, you know, measuring and analyzing artifacts. So it was a really, really good experience. And when I when I finished my degree in anthropology I had to make that decision if I wanted to go on to graduate school and I did I did want to go on and keep keep working in archaeology but um, working summers out in the field I learned that you know as an archaeologist you have to be out in the field a lot and away from home away from family and I wanted a family And so I started thinking more seriously about that as I transitioned to graduate school. And I decided that, you know, um, maybe I... I should just go back and focus on history because I knew it with history. I didn't have to always be out in the field, but I could still work with with, um, things from the past or ideas from the past. And so so I went back to school um, to get my degree in history, also from Montana State University, and got a a master's in history. And that really has been perfect. Um, Mm -hmm. And I really, really have enjoyed. And, of course, I never left the archaeology realm. I kind of kept... That with my, you know, my master's degree in history, I really always kept archaeology.
1: You kept a foot in both camps. I, I think, did. very well, a which, was hard, which was hard. Inspiration, yeah, you, you know? have to work at it. Yeah. But your your career after that, huh, involved both archaeology and history. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that.
0: So I went on to, um, so uh, I had met my my future husband at that point, my husband now, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we decided to expand our world a little bit. And so uh, my husband Larry got a job in San Diego. And so we moved to San Diego and I actually finished my master's degree. Um, I wrote, uh, I wrote the, my thesis in San Diego. So <laughs> about Fort Ellis in Montana. It's
1: a Nice place to be writing. <laughs> yeah, it
0: was nice. It worked. <laughs> but, um, but I then started working in the in my field after I graduated. I worked for a small little historical society called the La Jolla Historical Society, which was in La Jolla, California. So that was that was tough, Nancy. It was really tough to work there. Why,
1: why was it Why was it tougher? Are you I'm joking? Being, I'm joking? Was it I'm super sarcastic. fun yeah, and it was a super, beautiful super place? Awesome. It's yeah. beautiful. People don't know there's a lot of wonderful jobs in yeah, history that yeah. don't mean that you're just teaching. Right? Yeah, right, yeah.
0: right. So I worked for this historical society. It was a small little historical society, so I got to do everything. I, I was archivist. I was front room administrator. I was, you know, the the um, curator. I was, you know, you name it. I was it. I took out the garbage. You know. <laughs> You ran the show. I ran the show nice. well with a few other people too but it was it was fun and then I started and that was a part time gig and then I started working for Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo you probably don't know this but they have museums all over the country and they wow. have a museum in San Diego. And so I started working at their museum as a curator. Is it all stagecoaches? It is really <laughs> no not really <laughs> but you know Wells Fargo used to be a mail company. Oh um, You know the U.S. Postal Service is in the is in the news a lot today, but um, but the um, Wells Fargo used to deliver the mail, and so there's a there's a lot to Wells Fargo's history, which I won't go into today. But
1: another another (laughs) another episode, episode, yeah.
0: But um, but I it is a lot about stagecoaches though. So I I worked for the Wells Fargo History Museum for quite a while while we were living in San Diego, but I miss the mountains and I miss Montana. And so I told my husband, I said, "If I get a job in in, in Bozeman, can we move back?" And he said, "Yes," thinking, "Wow, what willing are the to leave the of... beach <laughs> behind." He didn't
1: think you could do <laughs> he didn't it. Didn't
0: think I could do it. Wow. So, um, so I got a job in Bozeman, and I said, "Larry, we're moving home." And so he he was glad to come home at that point. So, so we moved back to Montana, and the job I got was with an organization called Project Archaeology. And that is a national organization that develops curriculum for kids using history and archaeology. And so, um, so I worked for Project Archaeology for many years. I also helped start, along with you, Nancy,
1: right. the Montana Site Stewardship Program. A fantastic organization that gets lay people involved in monitoring sites, right, to make yeah. sure that they aren't um, being damaged by people or erosion or natural causes, things like that. Yeah. yeah.
0: It was great. It was wonderful to to do that work, and really important work at both Project Archaeology and the Montana State Stewardship Program. And so worked for those organizations for a time. But um, also started, um, co-founded with my good friend and colleague, Marcia Fulton, another nonprofit called the Extreme History Project. So you weren't busy
1: enough doing those two jobs anyway, and you started another one. What was the inspiration?
0: The inspiration was a place called Fort Parker, or the First Crow Indian Agency, that was located, is located just... uh, Just east of current day Livingston, Montana, and this was the site of the first Crow Indian Agency, and um, I had grown up in Livingston, which this site is about 10 miles from Livingston, and grew up not knowing this site existed, and so that really fueled my passion to better understand what this place was, what the history of this place was. And about the same time, Marsha Fulton was doing the same research. And so our paths converged. And nice. thank, thank goodness they did. <laughs> <laughs> the stars aligned. The stars aligned. And um, so Marsha and I started looking into this first Crow Indian agency and started research, researching it together. And in doing this work, we learned that there was a lot of history that wasn't talked about, wasn't known, uh, wasn't um, discussed, some of this hard history, some of this um, um, history that uh, was kind of pushed under the rug, so to speak. And so not just about um, the first Crow Indian Agency, but about Every all all history, you know, Montana history, national history, and so we started really um, having a better understanding of that, and we wanted to explore that a little bit, and so uh, within this Fort Parker project, we really um, started a much bigger project. Not really purposefully, but it just kind of grew out of our work at Fort Parker, and so we uh, started the Extreme History Project. In about, we started thinking about it in about 2009. You have to explain the name. Oh yeah, the Extreme <laughs> History Project. So we came up with this name on my back deck um, uh, at my house. We were we were thinking about what this was and and what this was going to be and and um, And Marcia came up with the name, the Extreme History Project. And the reason for that, the reason for the name is because we wanted to look at things that weren't, uh, you know, we wanted to look at those stories that weren't being told and look at those voices that were being silenced and really expand, you know, the historical narrative. So
1: you felt like as you were doing your own research about a site just down the road from where you grew up that you didn't know as you went into the archives and you looked places, you were finding untold stories that weren't right. going to make it out there, and some of them weren't beautiful narratives about the past. sometimes they dealt with hard issues so that that's where that's what you do now with extreme history mm-hmm nice yeah
0: yeah, yeah. so so it all kind of started that day on my 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 deck and so and it's grown since then. And so, um, so now I, so I have, um, I left my friends behind at Project Archaeology and, um, and, but we still all work together in a bigger, in a much bigger way. And uh, I went full time with the Extreme History Project. So.
1: That's so exciting. And right now we're actually sitting in your main offices in this beautiful historic building. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got here and what this building is?
0: Yeah. So we, um, when Marcia and I started Extreme History, we had a little office um, kind of on the outskirts of Bozeman, Montana. And that office got smaller and smaller as we've got bigger <laughs> and bigger. <laughs> and so about a year ago, you know, we are a historic entity. We're an organization that does history. And the office we were in was wonderful and beautiful, but it was very modern. And so we also have a historic preservation part to, to what we do. And so we wanted to be in a historic building. And so I had kind of just kept my eyes open for a historic building in downtown Bozeman for a long time. And as I was driving home from actually our one of our annual Extreme History meetings, I was driving west on Mendenhall Street, And noticed a for lease sign on this historic building right on Mendenhall. And so when I got home, I called the owner and I said, I'm interested in your building. I'd love to come and see it. And it's a historic house here in Bozeman. And so he met me uh, the next day here. And as I walked in the door, he said, the owner said, I know why you want this place. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, why? And he says, because it used to be a historic brothel. Awesome. And I said, yes, you are right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So there's a lot of character to this building, a lot (laughs) of history. What a perfect move for some new offices. Yeah.
0: So I knew this building
1: had a sort of past to it, you know, which fits perfect with Extreme History Project. Right. And so now your walking tours start from here. You have a big sort of parlor. Open that's mm-hmm. decorated in period furniture and, and decor, and, and even um, a museum exhibit up now as right. well. Right. So it sounds like it's been a good change, a good move.
0: Yeah, it was really good. And so we've um, we've moved here. We've been in this place for a little over a year, and we're so happy to be here. We're in historic Bozeman. We're kind of right where Bozeman started.
1: So important. This
0: area is just the, the beginnings of Bozeman, so we can really utilize our place here to really tell more stories about Bozeman. And of course we're expanding the historical narrative of Bozeman every day, trying to learn more and more about it. That's
1: so exciting. Wonderful. Thanks for that, Crystal.
0: Yeah. So Nancy, um, I've talked a little bit about uh, me. So, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background.
1: Yeah, well, I definitely resonated with you bringing up King Tut. I'm a little bit older than you and I was in sixth grade. I think it must have just splashed all over the world, maybe a world tour, but I was in sixth grade and my teacher taught us all about the Greeks and the Romans and the Egyptians. I was hooked. I couldn't believe there were these gigantic successful civilizations that made beautiful art, all this culture, their own language, and that they were now gone? How does a culture disappear? That was a burning question for me. I was super interested in. And I loved the idea that you could go and dig things out of the ground. There were still things to discover. So I knew that I was interested. I didn't know how to make that happen until I got to college. So I applied to and got into Emory University, and they had their own museum, and they had classical archaeology, so Greek, Roman. They did have people uh, also studying um, uh, ancient Inca and the ancient Aztec. It was an amazing place to be encountering people who were studying the ancient past. But I quickly found out that I had to become skillful in learning how to read dead languages uh latin ancient greek and i wasn't super great at that so i wasn't sure what to do i managed to get through college with a an anthropology degree but i moved away from classical archaeology and when i went on to graduate school uh, i began working in cyprus and doing some early bronze age sites that i was very interested in as um, civilizations were just starting to become complex But really, when I moved to Arizona and went to Arizona State University, um, like you, I started to think about the expense and the time spent abroad. And as much as I loved going to the Mediterranean and digging every summer, (laughs) it was hard on the bank account. Um, You mostly would get just room and board as an archaeology field hand at the time. I often would get a little bit more once I had more experience. But then, when I went to Arizona State University, I found out that I could get paid pretty well to do archaeology in the United States. So I switched to start studying in the Four Corners area. I fell in love with Chaco Canyon and Mesa Mm -hmm. Verde, and I started doing that research there. So that took me through a while of working on a Ph.D., and then I took a break, um, got married, had kids, did some other work. And when I moved to Montana in 2005... I got the opportunity to teach anthropology and archaeology again. And that's when I met you.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So that's
1: when we first started uh, working a little bit together on project archaeology, eventually site stewardship. And I started teaching and fell in love with it and decided I would make myself smart about archaeology in Montana because it was close to home. Great archaeology and anthropology department still at MSU, and I got opportunities to go and dig some wonderful sites with Dr. Mike Neely in the field and some projects with um, Jack Fisher as well, uh, who you worked with too, all the same folks. So um, that's been fantastic, and I decided to then go back and finish the degree I hadn't finished, this time in more... Uh, leaning towards American studies and history. So then I started to really learn about the history of the West, the colonial history, farther back into the indigenous history, into the deep past. And you know we have one of the oldest sites in the Americas right here outside (laughs) of our backyard, um, uh, over uh, at the Anzick site, where we have a ten thousand year old burial with some of the oldest DNA from the Americas, so it's been a fun and fascinating transition. I've loved teaching students. I see,
0: and you're such a good teacher.
1: Fancy. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Uh, she's never seen me teach, I but have, she I no. have. <laughs> But I I love seeing in the students' eyes that same. Innate curiosity about people and about the past. And for me, learning that there are so many different types of people who've set up so many different types of societies and understanding that humans are so varied across the globe and throughout time, we, you know, the world is our oyster to explore back to. 200,000 years ago when modern humans first evolved in Africa. And for me, all of that is fascinating and interesting about letting us know more about who we are today. So that seeing those uh, curious questions be reflected in the student faces and getting to delve into some of that research with them, to be able to take them into the field to do their first field school with Montana State University has been wonderful. So, um, So here I am today doing a whole various different projects, mostly with you, continuing yeah. to make archaeology and history more available to the public and to tell those untold stories. So I think we have missions that very much align. Yes, yes, yes
0: and have been aligning for, for some time now, for sure. So, um, so you know, thinking about those missions that have been aligning and thinking about the passion that we both have for these this field of archaeology and history, um, why do you think this show that we're doing is important now?
1: I think that's a great question. I think it's important now for several reasons. It's, it's relevant now more than ever. We're, we're seeing that every day on the news. How did we get to this place where in our culture, in our society, there are really wide disagreements about things and even disputes over some aspect of the past, of who we are as a people, of who we are as a culture, what our past means to us in shaping our identities today. And all of that makes the past and understanding that history, the factual parts of it, so incredibly relevant. Um, And for me, I extend that to who we are even as humans, as a species. So I think it's important for us to know On a local level, who we are as Bozemanites or Montanans, and then who we are as Americans, and then who we are as people on the planet. And all of that to me is part of that story, as well as how we learn about the past. What has been left out or edited out purposely, that often becomes some of the most interesting untold stories. And that's the kind of stuff I think we want to bring out in this, um, in this kind of radio show and podcast format. Yep. So what about you, Crystal? Why do you think the show is important?
0: Oh, there's so many reasons. And you know that, like I said, we've been thinking about doing this for for a long time now. But I think that the one thing that has struck me in the last few months is that we as a nation have really um, not done our due diligence to learn our history. And you know, they teach history in the classroom, they teach um, history in the in the primary you know secondary and at the college level they do teach history it's not that I'm begging on educators for not teaching history They do teach history but I think we as a populace have, um, not been keeping up with our history after we get out of school. And we haven't continued to learn our own history and to delve into the history that's important to us and important to us individually. And so it seems like we've really somehow gotten away from knowing our own history in the last few decades. And so it's time to come back to it. And, I and, and you know, I just don't mean learning dates and places and names. I mean that it's important that... Um, we learn understand and then interpret history in our own lives and for ourselves we need to have a deeper understanding of what happened in our past to better understand understand like you said nancy our identity right. our community identity our national identity
1: sometimes one story we learn can change the way we see the world and can change the way we see ourselves that has happened to me several times And I've seen it happen to students in my classroom. So, yeah, I think it can be powerful. But sometimes the best learning happens outside the classroom.
0: It does. It does. You know, and I think that that's um, where this learning needs to happen now. Um, I think our educators are... Are doing a good job, and we need to take it upon ourselves to start to learn our own histories. And of course, you know that's what extreme history is all about, and it's about making history relevant, but also telling those that wider story and including voices that have been left out purposefully, absolutely, Uh, sometimes purposefully, most of the time purposefully, (laughs) sometimes accidentally. But um, and our goal is to expand the historical narrative and tell those stories. That are are hard to talk about and are
1: uncomfortable to talk about. We're gonna be okay with getting uncomfortable. We are right? gonna be
0: okay with that. And okay. we're gonna we're going to focus on that. And it's gonna and it's gonna get really uncomfortable in some of these episodes. But if you're not uncomfortable, you're not learning. Buckle up. Buckle up. <laughs> we're going in. <laughs> so the the people we're gonna to talk to are people who do this type of history and archaeology and the people who do this work for the public. Because why are you doing history if you're not doing it for the public and for people to learn from and to understand in order to use that to better their lives and the lives of those around them?
1: We are pulling them out from behind their desks and their computers, and we're putting them on the air, and we're putting them in front of people. So we're excited exactly. about that.
0: Exactly. So that's why, this, that's why, to me, this is so
1: important. So this is great. We're going to have so much to talk about. And we hope you all join us so now for the teaser we have some amazing guests lined up including dr billy smith who's going to talk with us about his research on ona judge she was an enslaved african-american woman who labored for george and martha washington both at mount vernon and in philadelphia which was the capital where old george was president for his first term Dr. Smith will tell us about how she ran away at age 20 and became a fugitive for years. Did they catch her, Nancy? You'll have to wait to find out, Crystal. (laughs) But I do happen to know they did put ads in newspapers all over, offering cash rewards for her return. Quite a remarkable thing for a sitting president to have to advertise his own sordid story. Lost a slave, couldn't get her back, especially in a new nation already divided over the issue of slavery. That
0: is so exciting. When is that? Is that, that is that our first episode? It sure is. Yay! Okay, That's Crystal, exciting.
1: you tell us. Who else do we have lined up? <laughs> well,
0: we also have Tom Rust lined up. Tom is a is a historian and an archaeologist, and he teaches at Montana State University Billings, and he has a new book. It's hot off the press. It's called wow. Watching Over Yellowstone, the US Army's Experience in America's First National Park, 1886 to 1918. But the interesting part about Tom's um, conversation with us is he's going to tell us about what didn't, what didn't make it into the book. And so, and it's, it's interesting. I want to hear. <laughs> I can't wait for that. What didn't make it in? <laughs> it's an interesting story about the sexual orientation that some publishers think many of us still aren't ready to hear. You I do. think we're ready to hear it.
1: Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, um, well, we'll have to wait for that one. That'll be our second one. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
0: Um. So what
1: else do we have, Nancy? I know you've you've been working on some things. Yeah, so I have a friend, a good friend of mine, who is from my graduate school days, Dr. Shara Bailey. She's a paleoanthropologist and also one of the world's leading experts on dental morphology, which is just basically the shape of our teeth, all the bumps and cusps and roots and things like that. And she has become an expert in what those different shapes can tell us about early humans and Neanderthals that lived alongside them. So she'll talk to us about how so much of what we know or thought we knew about ancient humans and human evolution has changed over the past 20 years, and how we are rewriting the story of Neanderthals, and what that actually means for understanding ourselves as maybe a not-so-separate species.
0: Okay. And she'll probably... Give us the correct terminology. Is it Neanderthals or
1: Neanderthals? We can keep talking about that. Exactly. So what else do we have, Crystal? Let's give people one last teaser.
0: Okay. Well, we have a a great lineup of folks, and I'm not going to give any more names, but I just want to tell you that we have some great people lined up, and it's so exciting. Um, And, you know, um, one of the reasons that Marsha Fulton and myself started, we also do a lecture series um, here in Bozeman at the Museum of the Rockies, and the reason that we did this lecture series, the reason that we started this lecture series way back when we started it a long time ago is that we had all these friends and colleagues who are doing this amazing research. And it and this lecture series became a way for us to tap into that and, and present that information to the public. And so I feel like this is just going to be another way to be able to do that, to talk to our, our colleagues who are doing this, this work that is
1: unbelievably Um, And to get it out for everybody to hear. Yes. All right. Well, great. I want to thank everybody so much for joining us on our inaugural The Dirt on the Past episode. We hope you join us for many more.
0: You can find us on the Extreme History Project website as well as the kgvm.org website. So thanks. And until next time, keep searching out
1: The the Dirt dirt on on the the
0: past. Past.